I'm Devorah Vale. I'm a life and wellness coach and the host of this podcast. Welcome to Accessing Your Best Self, a space meant for exploring the wisdom of Torah and its practical application for improving our character. Okay, so we are continuing our class on anger. And um, today we're going to do some Kabbalah together. Okay, we're going to go into some of the Kabbalistic uh, ideas about anger and where it comes from. So this is based on the writings of Rav Chaim Vital. Rav Chaim Vital lived between 1543 to 1620. He actually was born in Italy, Calabrese, Italy, but he made his way to Tzfat and became a student of uh, the Ari, Rabbi Yitzchak Luria. And by the age of 26, he was already delving deeply into Kabbalah and uh, basically wrote a lot of asfarim on commentaries on all of the holy writings, but specifically the Kabbalah. And one of one of the little tidbits of information about him is says that he was able to discern the nature and history of the souls of men. So he definitely could read your wrinkles if you came to him. He could look at a person and basically know what they were composed of in terms of their inner self. And this is based on the idea that man is a microcosm of the universe. And the universe has been created by God through four elements, earth, wind, water, and fire. And every human being is composed of these same elements. Well, and um, the difference between our personalities is in terms of the predominance of the different elements, the differences between our souls and our Tchunos, our, our, what, what, our, what our mission is in this world and how we actualize it is based on the fact, again, that we're composed of these four elements, but each one of us will have a different measure of them. And for each one of us, one of them will predominate. Okay, so again, what do these four elements represent? So fire, and we're talking uh, here in its negative form. Fire represents anger and arrogance. No surprise, based on what we've been talking about. Water represents the love of pleasure. Water, by definition, spreads. It spreads out unless it's contained. Wind represents speech. And of course, this in the negative can mean, you know, using your speech negatively for Lashon Hara, for lying, for deceiving other people. Wind also, just just to know, represents movement, right? The wind is something that moves. So it's, it's uh, connotes movement, change. And earth, which we talked about a lot when we, did our series on Simcha Rechayim, on um, um, developing true happiness in life. Earth represents that part of us that wants to drag us down. It represents sadness and laziness. 
Now the Rambam takes these kohot, these, uh, these powers, these energies that we have within us. And he says, basically they're neutral and they can be used for either good or for bad. So for example, fire burns and it's destructive. So the question is how can fire be good? Okay, Mayim, water, is represented by the pleasure of life, really enjoying the pleasures of this world. You know what? We already said this. Okay, I'm not saying that again. Um, so, so balanced people have all these four elements within them, but one of these is the strongest. So let's talk about Aish. And, and the question to ask yourself to figure out which one you are is what is your main source of pleasure in life? Okay, and we are going to see through these four elements, which one relates to you more. Okay, so going back to Aish, Aish, of course, fire rises up. And this type of person is the type of person who gets the most pleasure from growing, from changing, from rising, from wanting something more than what he has now. Now, this power, this koach is used differently by different people and it can be used again, positively or negatively. So how does the tzaddik use fire? How does the righteous person use it? He uses it to burn out or destroy the bad things that are in this world. So, you know, he'll start an organization that stops abuse or he'll begin an organ, he'll start an organization to help with poverty in the world. Or I always like to quote Rev Noah Weinberg who used to say, you know, give me 10 angry men and I'll change the world. Now, obviously he was referring to the good kind of anger, the anger that arouses passion, the desire for change, to bring more justice into the world, to bring more goodness into the world. That's the kind of fire that the tzaddik has under him. So Aish people are the fighters. Now, if they're doing it from a elevated place, then they're destroying bad things in the world. On the lower end of Aish though, on the less elevated plane of the Aish personality is someone who's burning out good things. For example, the same person who is ruled by Aish, this desire to grow, this desire to change, can do this by destroying other people with their words. You know, I've said this before that there's two ways to grow. You can either dig a hole for the other person and give yourself the illusion of superiority, or you can do the hard work of actually changing yourself or the images of getting up on a chair, which takes more effort than just digging a hole for the other person. So the lower end age person is destroying other people perhaps with their words, nullifying the other person in order to feel that they've moved upward, you know, and it comes from a place of, you know, I can't stand you, I feel superior to you, 
and I've quoted this before, something that I came across as a teenager, there is no nobility in feeling superior to another person. True nobility comes in being superior to your previous self. So, you know, this kind of encapsulates the difference between the age person who's using it properly and the age person who isn't. Okay, so what does the age person do? He's someone who burns out the lower level that he was on in order to move to a higher level. So he literally destroys the level beneath him in order to be able to grow up to the next level. Why does he do this? Because he wants more, right? An age person wants to grow. They want to be on a new level. They have no pleasure where they are right now. You know, it's like the person who says, I have a million, but I want 10 million. It's not good enough. So generally speaking, this is the type of personality of someone who's intense, inspired, ambitious. Okay. Okay, now, interestingly, sometimes the desire to grow burns things that they shouldn't burn. Example, again, a zealous person who might step on other people to reach their goal. You know, Ravi Sarl Salanta, who was the founder of the Muslim movement, said you have to be very careful that in your zeal to do a mitzvah, you don't step on 20 people on the way to, do it, to doing it, right? So it's somebody who is so eager to grow, eager to move up, eager to change, that they that the positive is they 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 so to speak burn the lower level in order to thrust themselves upward but they have to be careful how they do that so age can be appropriate or not and how do you know whether you're using it properly so here's a few examples so let's say you have a person who wants to grow they're no longer satisfied with where they are and what happens is sometimes it creates instability because you're kind of end up between the rungs on the ladder. You've burned the level below you. You say, I don't want to be on that level anymore. I want to move up, right? But you're, you, you haven't yet moved up. It's like somebody who's climbing a ladder and they're reaching for the next rung. Their foot's off the rung beneath them. And in some ways, they're kind of suspended in midair. So the example that is given is, you know, it's let, let's say it's like somebody who sells their old house, but their new house isn't quite ready. And so they found themselves between this place without having an old, you know, the house that they lived in or not yet moving into their new house, right? Mom, we're moving in. No, anyway, so they're in this no man's land. Or another example that Dina Schoonmaker gives is, let's say a boy in yeshiva who feels that he's too good for the yeshiva now, that he needs a better yeshiva. He needs a yeshiva that's on a higher level. So he's very dissatisfied with where he is now. But the problem is, is that he has to wait a few months until he's going to get into this higher level yeshiva. And now he's very dissatisfied where he is now and he can't learn properly and he can't think properly because all he's thinking about is I'm not supposed to be here. I want to be on that next level. I want to be in that, in that higher place. And this happens sometimes when we grow too quickly. 
What can happen when a person burns the levels beneath them and wants to grow very quickly, whether it's in material things or in spiritual matters, this also is very true, right? Um, what happens is sometimes you end up falling back to a much lower level than where you began. And that happens because you don't leave anything left from the level before that you burned, so to speak. So if you don't make it at the new level, there's no net to fall into. And because of that, you could fall very low. You know, you could give it all up. I'm trying to give an example of that. You know, it's like if somebody's really reaching for a level in spirituality, maybe a, a mitzvah that they weren't used to doing or they never did before. I mean, it's always easiest to give the example of Shmirat HaLashon, you know, saying that, you know, I'm not going to speak Lashon Hara anymore. I'm going to burn that level of that personality type that I was where I was super critical of other people. I was always talking negatively about other people. I enjoyed juicy gossip and sitting around with my friends and talking about people. And now I've burned that level. I'm never going to do that again. And then, of course, what happens is if you fail even once or twice at this new level that you've decided that you've reached, um, you know, you could sort of say, oh, what the heck, you know, I might as well just give up and fall beneath where you started, even with that sincerity and urge to want to change. So that's the danger of moving too quickly. I'm sure it's true in business too. It's, it's, it's the idea of process and progress and taking slow steps and not jumping rungs on the ladder. But this is the danger of the Aish person who has this incredible desire to grow, to change, to move upward always, to always feel this sense of moving. It's interesting because I, I'm a Sagittarius. I don't know if there's any other Sages out there. But I once read about the uh, symbol for a Sagittarian is a horse, right? A man horse. It's a man and a horse, I don't know what they were called, centaurs or something. Or, um, and, and the idea is that he's on this horse and he's moving forward and there's a target that he's shooting at, but the target is always moving backwards. So the target's always moving back and the, the centaur is always um, galloping towards it. And the idea of a Sagittarian is that they never feel like they've reached their goals right? The goals are always elusive. The goal is always moving and they're constantly moving towards it. So, I mean, whether I'm an ace or not, it's just interesting that that kind of idea is associated with the sign of a Sagittarian. Okay. Um, so this type of personality, as you can see, could be a very unstable type of person. So what do they need to balance themselves? How do you balance fire if you're a fiery person? Sagittarians actually happen to be the fire sign. The other fire signs, I think, are Leo and Aries. You're a Leo, okay? I have a daughter who's a Leo and a daughter who's an Aries. So I say all the women in my family are fire. Yeah. And um, the way that you balance fire, okay, is 
in the physical world, how do we control a fire, right? With water. I married a water, so I always say, you're trying to put me out all the time. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, but you balance it with water and with dust, with earth. So let's talk a little bit about the water personality to see what the fire person needs more of to balance themselves. So the Mayan personality is the kind of person who gets pleasure out of what they're doing right now, right? They really know how to enjoy life. It seems effortless for them, right? The fire person's kind of wondering, how could you be so happy? You know, how could you be so complacent? How could you be so comfortable? You know, but the water person just really enjoys whatever it is. And, you know, it's, it's difficult for the fire person to understand, right? They don't need to change things, right? They, they enjoy what they have right now. You know, he loves his house. He loves his life the way it is. He loves where he's at and his spiritual growth and his uh, material well-being. He gets a lot of pleasure. He connects to the mitzvot easily. He gets pleasure from, from this mitzvah or that mitzvah. He likes going to shul. He gets, a, he gets a pleasure from davening in shul. He gets pleasure with having a conversation with you, right? This kind of a person is very, very present, very mindful, and it seems effortless. It seems like this is the way they were born. This is their predominant character trait. Do you know people like this? I hope you do. They're pretty easygoing people, and they have a, the pleasure of enjoying the moment. There's a certain level of natural contentment that they enjoy. So a fire person has to, and all of us, I mean, any, any predominance that you have, whether it's water, earth, wind, or fire, we have to borrow from the other elements in order to balance ourselves. So the H person has more of a tendency to get angry. And that's why we're talking specifically about the H personality. When things don't go the way they want them to. Well, this, is, this makes sense, right? When they see something that's frustrating them, they get angry and they can burn out the person who is annoying them. And they'll do this rather than changing the situation. If it's possible, they won't think that way immediately. It will take them some work or some other... Um, ways of correcting their imbalance, drawing from some of the other elements, which we all, again, we're all composed of all of them, developing another element to be able to have the ability to perhaps change the situation as opposed to letting the person who's causing them the frustration have it. So fire has to be balanced by water. So the ace person, for example, who's very inspired to grow all the time and to move upward and to change, what he has to do is to find a pleasure at the level that he or she is on. 
okay? So the idea is, is taking pleasure in your present day accomplishments, in what you've already achieved. You know, Rabbi Noah Weinberg, when, when asked the question, what's the difference between pride and pleasure? Or, or somebody asked, is there a place for being proud of yourself? So Rav Noah Weinberg answered, you should take pleasure in your accomplishments, not pride. Pride is, you know, sisters to arrogance. Pleasure means that you're taking pleasure in what you've accomplished, and that will give you energy to accomplish more. Whereas if you just, you know, ignore what you've accomplished, and you're always looking for the next target and the next thing, then it's not going to be done in a measured way. You're not going to be having that pleasure. And therefore, you know, your urgency to grow and to move and to burn the level beneath you, again, may include burning other people that uh, give you the feeling of moving forward, of moving ahead. It's funny, I just spoke to this girl. She's all at 18 years old. I took a coaching course, as you know, and now we're doing sort of peer coaching. And she asked if I want to be a, a, a you know, a, a partner with her. And I was surprised she was 18. And anyway, this kid, I'm telling you, I, I, you'll never know who she is, but she spent the whole coaching thing crying. Why was she crying? Because, well, she's getting into dental school, but she's really, really nervous about whether or not she's going to be a good coach one day. She's still in the course. She hasn't even finished the, Right. And I was trying to understand, I said, like, you just got into dental school, and she was telling me how so many people failed. Okay, she's an only child. All her parents' eyes are always on her. She's a very high achiever. She's frightened as anything about ever being average in any way. But, you know, this type of personality where there's no taking pleasure in her accomplishments, and it's just the anxiety of, will I be good enough? Will I be able to make the next target? I think that that's an example of somebody who doesn't take the time to take pleasure in what they've accomplished. Okay. Okay, fire also has to be balanced by earth. The highest form of earth, when we talk about earth in a positive way, Obviously, it represents stability, predictability, dependability, okay? The age person wants to grow, but the possible side effect of growth, again, is that they don't enjoy the level they're on. So they also need the earth to be stable. They need to appreciate and do things in a gradual, stable kind of way. In other words, I learn something new and then I integrate it. I give it time so that it really becomes me. In order to grow spiritually, in order to develop ourselves, we can't rush the process. You know, there are many, many people who become Bale Chuva who, you know, um, want to come back to, you know, observant Judaism. And very often they fail because they're too much in a rush, because they don't know how to take on the next mitzvah, 
or the next level and stay with it for a while and be committed to it and be consistent about it and allow it to be integrated into their being and be satisfied and take pleasure in that and then slowly move up to the next one. Now, there are instances where people take everything on all at once, right? And very often this might work for some people where they literally have to do it very quickly in order to be able to do it. You know, it's kind of like, I like to say, um, the more extreme the person was before they were religious, often they have to do things in a very extreme way to be able to shift the pendulum from one side to the other, right? The pendulum will go to the opposite side depending on how far it was out on the left. That's when you let it go, it's going to swing to the right in an arc that's much wider than let's say somebody who has a different type of personality, not the ish personality. So there is an idea sometimes of doing something quickly, but generally speaking, we say that you have to do it with stability in a solid way, with a support system around you, with people who can help you get there and take things on slowly and integrate them and be committed and consistent. Otherwise, you're just going to drop it. You know, you'll have a day, a bad day, you'll have an incident, you'll have a, a person that you meet that says you're crazy, why are you doing this? And you'll just drop it all. So slow and steady wins the race, right? Okay, so the example of the boy who wants to move to the new yeshiva, if he would incorporate more water and earth into his ish personality, instead of being miserable because he's not yet at the new school that he wants to be at, he learns how to gain a lot from the yeshiva that he's still in. So he starts to look around and see what he can appreciate about where he still is and where he has to be for the next three months. Okay, the ace personality is angry because it's focused only on what is not serving me. And we're going to use a Pasuk in Tehillim that says, Sur me ra the ase There's two stages to personal growth. The first stage is you have to turn away from what's bad. Turn away from what is not serving you not helping you to grow and get to where you want to go. That's the first step. And then asetov is the positive. And then you can, once you've moved away from those things in your life that are preventing your growth, that are preventing your ability to move up the rungs of the ladder, whether it's the people you hang out with or spend too much time with, now, you can't get rid of your family, of course, but, you know, if you have friends that are always gossiping or, you know, people that are always saying negative things, you know, we, we, we're, we're influenced, you know, we're influenced by the people that we hang around with. That's why the Mishnah tells us you should find a good neighbor, right? Stay away from people who are going to, who don't share your 
spiritual goals. So the H person has to turn away from bad and do good. And he turns away from the negative frustration by using the pleasure, the water part of his personality to see things as they are now and to try to find pleasure in them. So I gave the example last week, right? That even if you're getting your kids ready for school and they're taking forever and they're driving you crazy and they're forgetting their lunch and they're this and they're that. So the water part of an ace personality who's frantic to get them out of the house and has to really control their frustration and anger will try to work on recognizing the pleasure that the stresses and frustrations that come with the situation can also be looked at as, thank God I have these stresses and frustrations, right? There's the pleasure of the fact that I have children, that I have kids to get off to school. Whatever our situation is, recognizing that the same things that often cause us the stress and frustration can be reframed with cognitive flexibility that we spoke about last week. And we can find the good in it. Right, We can get the splotch off of our glasses and see a clear picture. Or instead of zooming in on what's bothering us and what's driving us crazy, we can try to zoom out and take in the whole expanse. And that's an aged person using more of the water, the pleasure of the moment, the mindfulness, and the earth, Right, the stability and predictability of behavior so that you don't just blow off the handle. Okay. So a lot of times when we get angry, when we get angry, we get upset afterwards at our anger. So the, one of the questions that we have to ask ourselves when we get ourselves all worked up is not who am I angry at, but what higher level is it that, I'm, that I want? What is my anger hiding? What is my anger expressing at its highest yearning? You know, so Dina Schoonmaker gives an example that, you know, it's very common air of Shabbos in the family setting that you can start yelling at everyone, right? Hurry up, get in the shower, come on, get, you know, set the table, blah, 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 blah. right? There's a time limit. There's a time limit. I remember, uh, if you know Sivan Rachav Meir, I think that's her name. Uh, she's an Israeli personality who was a, a very famous talk show host. She used to interview all of the presidents and prime ministers. And she, had, she was like the Shirley Temple of Israel. She had her own talk show when she was like six. Anyway, she became a Balat Shuva. And she grew up in a very wealthy part of Tel Aviv, Herzliya. She'd never met a religious Jew in her life, okay? And one day, somehow, she met these two religious girls from southern Israel, and they said to her, Bola Shabbat, Bola Shabbat. And she doesn't know what overtook her, but she, got, she said she got on a bus. She was about 17, and she went to their house for Shabbat. And she's very, very humorous. And she was telling over her story when she was in Toronto, and she was saying that she didn't really know anything about Shabbat, but she got there before Shabbat and everybody was yelling at each other, 
you know, everybody was yelling, come on, get on the shower, get the table set. Where are the And she figured, oh, wow, this is part of Shabbat. You have to yell at everybody, right? And then she said she had come like, I guess when uh, it was, uh, it was summertime. No, it was wintertime and the days were short. So everybody was yelling at each other. Then she said she came back again in the summer, but they were still doing the same thing, even though, you know, they had so much more time to get ready. But it didn't seem to matter because they were doing the same dance, you know, 20 minutes before Shabbat again. So, yes, the home, it's known that the home before Shabbat is coming in can be very chaotic, very negative, very haywire. So let's say this uh, age person finds that they're yelling and screaming at everybody. So instead of focusing on the people who are making you frustrated and angry, this is an example of this idea. Really what you want, what your anger is hiding, is you want to burn out this level of how we come into Shabbat. You want to burn out this lower level, right, of how I come into Shabbat and try to get it to a higher level, right? You know, try to get it to that family that you know down the street that you know everybody's calm and everybody's dressed already and you know every all the food is already on the bluff and you know people are just reading and getting you know everybody's ready for Shabbat right so you're trying to get there but you can't seem to and you recognize that all of this yelling and screaming at everybody is really just a manifestation of the fact that you're burning this level in the wrong way because you want to get to that higher level. So she says, you know, I want to burn out this chaotic air of Shabbos, but I make the mistake of snapping at everyone instead, right? Really what you want is a better air of Shabbat. What you really want is change. What you really want are things to be different. Angry people want some kind of change. They want a better air of Shabbat. They want a better relationship if they're showing their anger at another person. So obviously, how do you have a better air of Shabbat? Get ready earlier. Cook Shabbat on Thursday, right? You want a higher relationship with somebody. Well, how do you get that? Maybe have a conversation when you're calm, when you can express how you feel, when things are good. So a lot of times, you know, in relationship, we wanted to be more connected to a person and instead we end up yelling at them. And again, it's the question that we have to ask ourselves is what's the level that you're trying to burn out and what level are you trying to get to that your anger is actually hiding? Another example you're angry at your child. You want that child to be functioning on a higher level. You have certain expectations of that kid. But what do you do? You burn the kid. You burn out the person instead of changing the situation that leads to the frustration. Right? We have a saying in Hebrew, Ezehu hacham, haro'eh es hanolad. Who is the wise person? The person who sees the future. In other words, the person who plans ahead and understands that if I set things up differently, then maybe things will be different, right? Either I can do that through 
right? Anger comes to tell us you have to either change something in yourself, right? You have to lower your expectations. You have to work on your patience and your process and progress and taking pleasure in what you've already accomplished with that kid. Or something in the situation has to change. You want to set your child up for success. You want to lower the expectations perhaps for them. So again, the age person wants the higher level. The age person wants to grow, but we get angry at ourselves and others in a mistaken way. Maybe it's because we're not balanced enough. Maybe we're not seeing enough pleasure in the situation and the good that's there right now. So a fire needs containment, right? A fire has to be contained, otherwise it is very, very dangerous. And of course, explosive anger is very much symbolic of a fire that's out of control, right? So it has to be contained with pleasure, which is water, and earth, which is stability predictability. So what's my anger hiding? What are those things that I'm burning that I don't need to be in pursuit of a higher level? In other words, your kids are fighting and you start yelling and screaming at them. So you want to burn out the concept of kids fighting, but not the kids themselves. Okay, I guess it's kind of like you know, um, making the distinction between it's not you, but it's the behavior has to change. Trying to separate the person from who they are. So you want to burn out the unfairness of a situation, but not the people that are involved. I'll tell you a beautiful story, one of my favorite stories that happened to pop up recently about Rav Avraham Tversky, Zecher Tzadik Levracha. For those of you who know him, he was just Nifter a couple of weeks ago. In his, he was 90, I believe. He wrote many, many books, as he likes to say. He wrote 50 books, and somebody once asked him, how did Dr. Tversky have so much time to write so many books? And Rabbi Tversky, and it's funny because I heard him say this in Manhattan when we moved to New York. I went to hear him speak in, in Manhattan, and he said the same thing, only he had only had 31 books at the time. <laughs> so he said, no, I've really only written one book. And he said, I've written one book in 50 different ways. All of my books are on self-esteem. Because he really, he was a doctor. He was a, an, an expert in addiction. He used to go to AA meetings every time he was on vacation, wherever there was an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting, he would go wherever the closest one was, and he would love to be in them and learn and sit and hear about addiction and what was underneath it. And anyway, he was a brilliant man. And um, interestingly, another thing that was going around is that he actually met Danny Thomas. If you remember Danny Thomas from... And Danny Thomas was so impressed by him. He was a young Hasid at the time that he offered to pay for his medical schooling because he didn't have the money to go to school. 
and uh, just a, a, you know, a story about a righteous non-Jew. And of course, Danny Thomas went on to create St. Jude's Hospital, which was a hospital that offered free care um, to anybody, any child, I think, that came in there. Anyway, the story about Rabbi Tversky, a beautiful story. When he was a young boy, he was a chess champion. By the way, he also suffered from terribly low self-esteem, which he says is very often connected to be, being very high functioning. That it's often the people who have the most talents and the most intelligence and the most stuff going for them that suffer from the lowest self-esteem. Just interesting, okay? I'm not good enough is, is, is part of it. This girl that I mentioned earlier, she wanted to work on confidence, right? Well, she's not confident, even though she wins one award after the other. <clears throat> Another way of saying no self-esteem. Anyway, he was about 10 years old. It was Rosh Hashanah. His father was a Rav from a very um, prestigious Hasidic dynasty, the Tversky family. And they had a rabbi visiting them over Rosh Hashanah. And this rabbi comes over to the young Avraham and he says, how about a game of chess? And Avraham's thinking, well, I don't know. We don't usually play chess on Rosh Hashanah, you know. I mean, it's allowed technically, but it's not in the spirit of the day to sit down and play a chess game. So he's not quite sure, but this was an older and distinguished rabbi asking him. And he said, come on, come on, let's just have a game or two. <clears throat> anyway, he sits down with this rabbi and they play the game of chess. And basically after Yantav ends and this rabbi leaves, um, his father asks him to come and visit him in his study. And he says he goes in there and he's kind of nervous because when his father invites him into the study, it's usually for some kind of discussion. And he sits down and he says to him, um, so Avrami, I hear that you played chess on Rosh Hashanah. And you know, he's, he's uh, ready for the admonition and he sort of nods his head and says, yes, Tati. And he says, well, you know, um, that's not something that we do, right? It's pasnished. In Yiddish, that means it's beneath you. It's beneath you to do such a thing, to play games on the most serious day of the year, right? Anyway, so he's sitting there and he's feeling kind of, you know, sad and guilty. And then just as he's about to leave, a few moments later, his father gives him a big smile and says, so did you win? <laughs> and he says, yes, twice, right? With a big smile. He says, good for you. So again, he says that his father was an expert, a chinuch expert, an educator, who understood how to burn the behavior, how to get the message across that the behavior is not something that we do, but that you, the person, is left intact. Not only left intact, but even lifted up. And that is the greatness of somebody who's able to use the fire, control the fire, but understand where they're trying to get to with it. Okay. 
So what am I dissatisfied with? This is what we have to ask ourselves. How can I burn it without burning the people who happen to be around it? So for homework, each of you can think about this. Okay, we have a few more minutes left. So I wanna go back to Susan Heitler's list, right? We were talking about cognitive um, ways of understanding anger. Now, these are not on her list. We gave 11 that she gave, but these are ones that Dina Schoonmaker added that she came up with herself based on her experiences. And some of them sound a little bit like uh, the list that we did with Susan Heitler. So this is going to be number 12 if you want to continue that list. So this is called anger as manipulation. We all know this type of anger, right? We want it, we, we start when we're two years old, right? With tantrums, uh, with saying it over and over and over and over again until the person gives in in a very loud voice, right? I want it, I want it, I want it. But we can do this all through life, using our anger as a way to manipulate the other person. So an example is a newly married or engaged couple who are sitting and discussing the wedding. And of course, he says, you know, I would like this rabbi to officiate at our wedding. And she says, well, no, I would really like this rabbi to officiate at our wedding. So, you know, the conversation, she starts getting all uptight. She starts getting angry. And basically, she gets, you know, her husband, her, the, the guy to back off um, so she can have it her way. Okay. So we can use anger. Some women use tears right? We use it as a manipulatory tool instead of being able to discuss, to have a win-win conversation, uh, you know, to behave as an adult, to have a conflict resolution that is befitting us, but we'll use this instead because it achieves results. Now, it's different than the one where we talked about coercion, because this is more like, um, I want to twist your arm emotionally, so you do it my way. And again, we use this because it uh, achieves results. Okay, another one, number 13 is anger as a cover for laziness. Now, this also is a no-brainer, right? You tell your kid, you know, it's your turn to take out the garbage. And the kid starts getting all angry. Why do I have to take out the garbage? Joey never takes out the garbage. I took out the garbage last week. I'm not taking out the garbage, right? My friends don't have to do it. I'm the only kid who does this, okay? But very often the angry outburst is, you know, I don't want to get off the couch. I don't want to be disturbed right now. I'm in the middle of a good book, right? I don't want you telling me what to do. But, you know, it's really about I don't want to move. I don't want to do this because there's a certain laziness, a certain utzlut that is dragging us down. Our earth part is a little bit too heavy, right? So the fire part kicks in. Okay, the last one, number 14 is, and this is a very interesting one, anger as a form of intimacy avoidance. I don't want to have to get close to you. So I use anger to distance you. This can happen with friends. It can happen with spouses. 
you're getting too close for comfort and I'm feeling vulnerable. I don't want to share. So I get annoyed so we don't have to get too close. And this comes from an internal message that this person might have. And it can come from childhood. It can come from experiences that they've had. It can come from the fact that their emotions were never validated and they don't really know how to deal with emotions. Okay. And it's the internal message that tells them it's not safe to get too close to people, right? It could be from trauma, um, listen, distrust, things that happen in our lives. So what happens is this person will sabotage relationships in order not to get too close because they're scared if someone breaks down the boundaries that they've set up. And so they use anger to move away. So somebody asked the question, well, what do you do if you live with a person like that? Or what do you do if there's a person in your life that you just can't get close to? So Dina Schoonmaker explains that there are some people who also have this because they're so afraid of rejection. And she said, you see this with dating. When they get to a place where things are going well, they'll suddenly do something to sabotage it. It's the fear of getting close. And it's associated in their head with nobody will ever understand me, not being understood, of emotions not ever really being validated. So they get nervous and will sabotage. And the source can be that they don't believe that, that emotions in general are valid. You know, that emotions show weakness. And they're afraid of their own emotions. And Dina Schumacher goes on to say this is actually a big field now in psychology, that there are a lot of psychologists who work with people to help them acknowledge their emotions and to become more comfortable with emotion, right? Some of us are very in our heads, as they say. It's always about, I think, I think, I think. And we have a lot harder time with the language of emotion. I feel. And I think this is pretty, I mean, this can be pretty common and not, you know, not necessarily as extreme as what she's talking about here, but it can be common. Okay, number 15 is anger, which was really hiding depression. Um, Devora, yes. I'm not sure which one was number 13. I put 12 and I don't see 13. 13 is <laughs> anger, anger as a cover for laziness. Right? Uh, you don't want to get off the couch. 15. Where did I put that? Um, okay. Thank you. Sorry. Okay. No problem. I wanted to speak to you after because you, you emailed me and I didn't have a chance and I'm so okay. sorry. All right. Good, good, good. Okay. Number 15 is anger that hides depression. So this is uh, more common with men because men are not supposed to get sad. Men are not supposed to get depressed, right? Women, we know that we have a lot of emotions and we're supposed to fluctuate and woman, thou art, thou art changing as the moon, as Shakespeare said, right? So we're not as uncomfortable 
with the ebb and flow of different emotions if we're healthy and you know we understand that they come and go but for men this kind of anger can be a cover for depression and so instead of you know being able to recognize that they're perhaps sad or depressed and they have a good reason for it they might hide it with anger Okay, just a, a couple of things that came up at the end of this class, questions that people asked. So somebody sourced uh, uh, a, a safer called the Peleoates, which says that you shouldn't try to figure out why people are angry. That, you know, you can't really know why other people are angry. And this is something only Hashem can know. So Dina Schoonmaker addressed this point. And she said, you know, there are different opinions in Musser in terms of how to behave and react to things. And she said that this model that we've been going through, which is understanding why people get angry, right, through these different, um, what we've gone through in, in the last two classes, first of all, physiologically, what's happening to people when they're angry, the fight and flight, right? the blood rushing from the head to the arms and the feet, right? And then all of the different things that we talk, and then what you, know, what you can do, but, but, but that's besides the point. And then also the idea that um, what is anger really hiding? What's anger a cover for? And so here we talked about all the different reasons why we use anger as a tool, which it's not meant to be a tool. It's not meant to be the way you get people to do what you want to do. Because we know if people do what you want to do because they're afraid of you, well, that's not a good way to, to operate in the world. But rather, anger is coming. Every emotion that we have is coming to discover a problem. Anger is the inner teacher. It's letting you know that something's not right, that something needs to be addressed. So whether it's looking at all of these different um, expressions of anger that we've outlined in yourself, and again, I advise you and myself to go back over them, right? To make ourselves very conscious, to bring it from the back of our minds to the front and to really learn them so that we can try to be more objective. We can try to be more cognitively aware when it's ourselves or other people that are acting out in an angry way and asking ourselves, being able to take a step back, being able to not become emotionally involved. And we're going to talk about that next week about how to deal with somebody else's anger. You know, how are we supposed to react um, or not react? So we're going to do that next week. One other thing just here I wanted to say that um, when we know these different ways or reasons for why people uh, get angry, so we're supposed to use what we know in a benevolent way, not in the wrong way, which would be, oh, you're angry because you had a critical mother, right? You know, not like becoming the psychologist and the psychoanalyst of every person. You know, I know why you behave that way. No, we're supposed to be humble about it, Dina Schoonmaker says. And we're even supposed to say, you know what? I may not really know the reason, but I'm trying to understand 
so I can be more sympathetic, so I can be more forgiving when your anger is directed at me, especially, right? Now, change comes very slowly. Little changes are okay. Again, angry people generally are very impatient about things changing. They need afar, which is the idea of allowing things to change slowly. They need water, right? Which is taking pleasure sometimes in whatever, wherever they're at right now and whatever level they're on. They need to realize that it's not about burning the people, but rather that's just an expression of some kind of change, some kind of level that they're dissatisfied with, and they want to be able to move up to the next level, because that's the essence of the H personality. Again, in a positive way, the H personality is the person who wants to grow who doesn't feel good when they're feeling stagnant or stifled. They know there's more. They want more. But they have to balance that with taking pleasure in where they are and the accomplishments they've made in the small, steady steps that have gotten to them to where they are, right? And to create also, take from the earth Create the kind of personality that is more stable and predictable and, 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 and firm in terms of not being in a rush. Not being in a rush. Integrating and moving slowly up the ladder. And again, recognizing that if I'm burning people around me, it's not the people. It's the situation. It's something in me that I need to rectify, that I need to either prepare better, right? Get myself together before Shabbos instead of five minutes before, you know, instead of looking at my watch five minutes after I was supposed to be there, looking at my watch and, you know, 10 minutes before and, you know, being the chacham, being the wise person. Okay, God willing, next week we'll continue. We're going to go from... Anger to patience. Um, th this is the other flip side of anger. We said the opposite of anger is chesed, but we also said an antidote to anger is patience. So we're going to talk about the meta of patience also next week. And we have another maybe two classes on anger, and then we'll maybe get ready for Pesach with a different meta. Okay. All right. Thank you for listening, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Take good care. Yeah, you too.